Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello, welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Anita. Hi. Today we're going to be talking about labor in the video game industry. This is a field we touched on briefly in a past episode a few months back. Me and Noah were on it talking about the crunch, which is this term used for um, the long working hours before a game's release, and, and specifically in reference to Red Dead Redemption 2, which had just been released. Now, today, we're going to start off talking about Fortnite, which is beyond a game. It is a cultural phenomenon at this point. Noah, you are a teacher. Explain Fortnite to everybody Uh, as best you've learned from your students. It takes up hours of my students' time every day. If they're not playing it, they're watching videos on YouTube of other people playing it. They are constantly making reference to it as uh, flexes on each other. I believe that's a term young people use these days. <laughs> and it basically determines the entire social pecking order for my, well, okay, not the entire social pecking order for my <laughs> students, but it's definitely a piece that sort of is included in there. And to me, the most infuriating part isn't even them playing it because, you know, that's going to happen. It's the fact that teachers are getting to the point where they're basically saying, how can we include Fortnite in our (laughs) educational courses? That's the point at which it's, I want to pump the brakes. And uh, Um, yeah. Right. Fortnite has become wildly successful and popular Mm -hmm. among kids about the age you teach, you know, middle high school, especially. Mm -hmm. Adults. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's leaked into pop culture. You know, you see football players doing Fortnite dances when they score. It is everywhere. It has made... The company that makes it, Epic Games, billions of dollars just in the year and a half since it has released. It is massive on a scale that even widely hyped games like Red Dead Redemption 2, again, um, didn't make that much money that quickly. Mm -hmm. And what we've learned in recent weeks is that that success has been built in large part on a culture of crunch, on a culture of... 70 to 100 hour work weeks for the people who make Fortnite. For the people who update Fortnite specifically, long after it's been released, to make sure that the gamers, the students in Noah's classroom, have new content to play. Yeah. So a lot of times, at least from what I was taught and what I've seen in this industry, it is highly expected that a game will um, be pushed out um, as fast as possible, especially toward the end when they have expectations of meeting a deadline. Mm -hmm. And I know as well as you do that we've all played games that needed like 10 patches to finally work. Games that come out on console, uh, they used to be just one and done. Mm -hmm. Now that there can be updates to the internet, a lot of times these people not only crunch for, you know, the last week before output, they're also going to be crunching next couple weeks because you got to get that patch. You got to get that fix. There's a bug. And it's going to take another couple weeks 
and the workers are uh, bearing the brunt of that mm-hmm. without proper compensation. Ryan mentioned that this game makes truly just staggering amounts of money in a Absolutely. way that something like Red Dead Redemption 2 doesn't. And Anita, I think you just revealed why. Because now we have... So this is a very cursed phrase from an article that Ryan sent to <laughs> us, but Fortnite is the biggest example of a model called games as a service, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah. which basically means that instead of, as Anita was saying, you get a game, you play it, you finish it, you're done, and if there's bugs in the game, you just kind of have to deal with those. Yeah. Now you can basically have gamers on uh, on the hook the entire time. You can continue to push out new content, new skins, gamers who can afford the new content, even when it's purely cosmetic. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. One of the key things is the part of Fortnite that has become so popular is this mode called Battle Royale, and that's free. They don't charge anybody to play it, which is in part part of the reason why it's so popular. But they have managed to make this huge sum of money on the basis of cosmetics and updates and these battle passes Mm -hmm. that allow players to unlock those cosmetics and updates faster, basically. One of my students told me, and I can't attest to how true this is because I don't play the game, but that apparently default is a common insult, Mm -hmm. meaning that you you haven't taken the money and the time to purchase a new skin for your character. Yeah, dirty casuals. It's it's the aeropostale of the new generation. (laughs) It's a a status symbol to have a unique design on your character because... One thing that game companies have learned in recent years is that gamers love playing dress-up with their characters. They love oh, yeah. just you can't, designing. As long as you don't call it that, that's yeah. the problem. No, that's feminine, right? Yeah. Ah. Mm. <laughs> to summarize the issue here, uh, just to in case we haven't been clear enough so far, it's this report from P- Polygon written by Colin Campbell, and uh, quote, In a dozen interviews conducted by Polygon over a period of several months, current and former employees say they regularly worked in excess of 70-hour weeks, with some reporting 100-hour weeks. Contract staff and Epic's quality assurance and customer service departments spoke of a stressful and hostile working environment in which working overtime, while officially voluntary, was an expected service to the company. And here, again, we run into this issue of uh, mandatory volunteering, in effect, where you don't have to, but... It's highly, highly discouraged not to. Right. And especially if you're contract staff, because I think this article mentions that if you were a contractor and you didn't do your supposedly voluntary overtime, you would find that your contract simply didn't get renewed. Or you never get hired. Because if it's a contract Mm -hmm. to hire position, they'll keep these people on the hook for however long it takes for the game to be out, and then uh, maybe you're not on Red Dead Redemption 2. Maybe, you know, we're done with you. Quote, Meeting player demand and maintaining the game's momentum has forced some some to endure ongoing crunch. The executives keep reacting and changing things, said one source. Everything has to be done immediately. We're not allowed to spend time on anything. If something breaks, a weapon say, we can't just turn it off and fix it with the next patch. It has to be fixed immediately, and all the while we're still working on the next week's patch. It's brutal. I hardly sleep. I'm grumpy at home. I have no energy to go out. Getting a weekend away from work is a major achievement. If I take a Saturday off, I feel guilty. I'm not being forced to work this way, but if I don't, then the job won't get done. Which they're using guilt in some ways to as the uh, stick to, right. with which to keep workers going on. 
it's it's the thing we said before. It's always easier to enforce a non-mandatory standard because a mandatory standard means you have to put it in writing, you have to put it on paper. Right. Employees can complain about it. It it becomes things that you talk about around the proverbial water cooler. But if you make it an issue of ethics or morality, then it becomes a private choice. And Americans love to uh, insult other people for their personal choices. They love mm. to treat something that's quote-unquote voluntary as as if it's done without context. Right. What you had mentioned as a games with a service is a model that has is now pervasive throughout video games. It's not just Fortnite. And Crunch also is not exclusive to Fortnite. But perhaps the thing that sets it apart, and it's one of the reasons why it's been so successful, is the space with which they are keeping new content and having to crunch post-launch, which is not something we've seen elsewhere. Yeah, um, I think that it's important to note that with all the crazy amounts of money that this is raking in, Mm -hmm. they can definitely afford to pay people a living wage and not have them work these insane hours. I think it's important to have the same person working on, say, uh, one particular you know, group of, uh, uh, I, I guess, content. Mm-hmm. If you're in the team that's, you know, that's most closely associated with, the, with like that content. But that doesn't mean that um, you have to be the only couple of people doing it. Rotating out your staff is super important. Mm-hmm. And they talk in the story about how they've, you know, tried to rotate, but it still hasn't been enough mm-hmm. to keep up with demand. Uh, to quote again, one senior guy would say, just get more bodies. That's what yeah. the contractors were called, bodies. And when we were done with them, we can just dispose of them. They can be replaced with fresh people who don't have the toxic nature of being disgruntled. That's dark. Toxic disgruntled ability. Mm. I, one way to simplify this is, you know, they're having like, say, 2,000 people's worth of work done by 800 people. You know, if you're looking at 100-hour work weeks, that's the sort of ratio we're talking about mm-hmm. to have that happen. You know, there has to be a higher level of not just contractors, but full-time. Uh, the speed at which they use, abuse, and dispose of their workers, especially the contract people, mm-hmm. um, it sort of feels like this is like a microcosm within itself of end-stage capitalism. Um, if you don't mind me saying, yeah. I think that this is just so sped up that you can actually see, see the wheels coming off much faster than if it was an industry that wasn't just encapsulated upon itself. Because it literally has all of the hallmarks of that. It has uh, people at each other's throats, not only within the industry and with, you know, within the companies, but it also has that added level of the consumer is also uh, in constant competition with people they will never meet and completely alienated from those people but on the same frame they're also trying so desperately to assert that they are the best and they are the best fan um, because they have the shoes they have that skin they have that helmet no one has so it's it's something we've talked about actually on i want to say the episode we did on major league baseball and the sort of free agency signing Mm -hmm. drought that now uh if you're a sports fan 
you probably play fantasy sports, mm-hmm. yeah. and that has turned every sports fan into a general manager. And so now they get even angrier at players for you know yeah. not accepting low ball offers or what have you because I could put you on a team and get points and blah, 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 but if you're not playing, you can't earn anything for me. So there's absolutely a parallel there in that we've sort of converted every every person who plays games, basically, as long as they play them, as long as they play this kind of game, games as a service, mm-hmm. we've turned them into somebody who is, for them, the experience of playing the game is a zero-sum game against its designers because we don't really train people in any way, shape, or form. Um, to demand less? Right, or, or yeah. just to have a little bit of manners. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know that's supposed to be a kind of uh, outdated concept and not just in the right-wing way where they talk about it, but we haven't trained people to realize that. Um, I did want to bring up something. You mentioned 100-hour weeks, and oh. I remember the last time we talked about Crunch, mm-hmm. the very specific thing was that uh, Rockstar's bosses, yeah. uh, whose name I they were forget. brothers, they Spencer's, were, I don't know. Hudson's, something. But they claimed that they were the ones working 100-hour weeks. In the case of Epic, we know from these employees that mm-hmm. the bosses absolutely were not doing that, that the executives were simply saying, fix this, and then left them holding the bag well, every they time. They don't, they don't do any of the designing. I doubt they can code. I mean, I'm just, you know, I mean, maybe, but it's highly stratified. You got... Code monkey, you know, and then what? Whatever comes above that, like what Scrum manager or whatever they call them, they got, and then they're gonna have people that are just come in and go, all right, who's who's working fast? We need mm-hmm. fast workers, and that's always the guy that knows the least about it. You could literally cut off everybody above whoever is the project manager or even the product owner, and be completely in the clear to make a video game without them. Now, um, I want to. Take a step back for a moment, because Epic Games, the company behind Fortnite, didn't just pop onto the scene with Fortnite. They are, they've been around since the 90s, and they were already a pretty massive company before Fortnite. It's not like this sudden success was something you know that happened to a small company that is now experiencing growing pains. Mm-hmm. This is a big company. They make something called Unreal Engine, which is oh. the basis on I which a lot that. of okay. other games are made, uh, a lot of their competitors' games, and they take a 5% cut from games made on Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, there's money there already. You know, previously they made a series called Gears of War, which oh, was yeah. hugely oh. successful. Yeah, I remember Gears of War. And that, was, yeah. uh, that was a big one. So, something that they've done since Fortnite with all this added revenue is they've created a storefront of their own. Uh, most PC games are bought on a service called Steam, yeah. which takes a... 30% cut from developers for the privilege of having their games on Steam where mm-hmm. players can buy them, basically. It's a marketplace. Mm-hmm. And what the Epic Games Store has promised is that they will only take a 12% cut. It is explicitly termed in, you know, this is a pro-developer move. How nice. But it's coming mm-hmm. from this company that in its own house is you know, treating developers in this way. It's it's very strange to see that dichotomy. I mean, it's it's another classic case of corporate wokeness. If video games, the gaming industry has gotten to the point where I think even the, uh, to use a wrestling term, even the markiest person 
uh, even the markiest gamer knows that something is rotten in the state mm -hmm. of Denmark. There are things that don't seem like they should be lining up. Like it, games are kind of becoming samier and samier every yeah. year and they're requiring more money. Even if you don't get charged for playing the game, they're requiring more money to actually become invested in and whatever. And the response of the gaming industry to that has been to sort of adopt a, you know, how do we help developers uh, and, and much the same way that we talk about like small farmers or small business owners, mm -hmm. it's become, you know, how do we help the four person studio the in Florida? Gamers. Right. Uh, how do we help them that. succeed? <laughs> but that notably neither deals with the fact that the companies that want to do that are often guilty of some of the worst abuses of their own employees, mm -hmm. nor does it deal with the fact it, it doesn't change the culture around it, which is kind of a big driver of this. Because again, if when I started gaming, not to pull it back in my day, but I am going to, when I started gaming, if a game had a glitch, you had to work around it. Yeah. And you didn't get to say, oh, well, there will be a patch that will fix this soon. Mm -hmm. You either decided that you wanted to finish the game mm -hmm. or you decided you didn't. And well, they got your, your money anyway. Yeah. Right. One of the things that this brings up for me is, I mean, I remember paying Play World of Warcraft, of course, and they kind of distilled down uh, all of the crappier elements of that and just... I mean, I'm sure... I, I have not played Fortnite. Sorry. I, you know, very busy lately, but... Um, and I'm too afraid I'll like it. Um, so, Fair. but I, I can say definitely that there are a lot of like money sucks and, um, you know, it, it, they were, uh, purposely creating, like you'd get to a certain level and they purposely, uh, come up with a reason to drain cash out of you. Oh, mm -hmm. you want to take, you want to be able to take this Griffin to go to the new part of, you know, whatever. Uh, well, you're going to have to pay in order to have this special, you know, X, Y, Z item. And then you can go over to the new area where the pandas are or whatever. So it was sort of like they, they took that element and they made everything about that. Um, and so if you're not even in that area, then you can't gain all of those new thingies, you know, that you can find. And, and everybody knows because they play with you. What if, what if we made the entire game out of the transactional elements. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying what I was... <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> yeah, um, 100%. Uh, and Epic is... It's 48% owned by this Chinese company named Tencent, which has made a whole bunch of successful mobile games and games that have never reached America but are widely popular in, in China. They've you know, been very successful. They have the money to own half of this already successful company in its own right. And one thing, if you play games on your phone at all, you notice that they have this model just ramped up even further. You know, there might be a mechanic where you need a crystal in order to play a certain number of levels. And these crystals will pop up, you know, once every hour or so. But you can pay to get a new crystal right now. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, Marvel Champions was like that. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I realized as I was playing that, I would go, wait a second. All these characters kind of play the same. They have mm -hmm. like one kick, one punch. I'm basically just staring at this and getting advertisement pumped into my eyeballs. Mm -hmm. I stopped playing. <laughs> yeah. the, this is a model that a lot of uh, what we might call in the next segment core gamers have uh, come to re resent as possibly you know infiltrating the world of console and PC gaming. You know they right. look at that with suspicion and not out of line to do so because not out of line at all. It's 
it's the most naked profit grab. Diablo Game, comes to mind. Right. And gamers still complain about, what is it, the horse armor in Elder Scrolls oh 4 that didn't do anything. <laughs> but you look at what happens now. And the fact that the game, the fact that core gamers didn't, sorry, 72 point air quotes around that, didn't mm-hmm. immediately say, you know what, maybe I need to go find something else to do with my life, mm-hmm. I think was the moment the gaming industry realized we've got these jokers hooked. Oh, yeah. There's just nothing they won't accept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could buy a mount uh, in World of Warcraft that was completely cosmetic, didn't go any faster, so, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, a flying mount, something like that. And the, the sick thing is everyone knew you paid that money because mm-hmm. there was only one way to get, mm-hmm. I think it was a white flying horse. I'm going to go with the Pegasus on this one. And I remember just thinking to myself, well, everyone you see there with the Pegasus, is not, aren't they stupid? Aren't you going to just be like, hey, dummy, you pay? No, no, because that's like saying, hey, look at my new shoes. Conspicuous consumption Absolutely. in World of Warcraft. Thorstein Veblen. I'm sorry is, I have to keep bringing it back to yeah. way long the, ago. No, but. <laughs> it makes it, it's perfect. That is like the first flashpoint of I that know, thought. I that feel makes like perfect that's sense. That's when I started noticing this the most. And even as companies are ripping off gamers in these ways, they are mm-hmm. also playing the consumer up against the laborers. You know, oh, yeah. it has been an argument about, you know, if we don't have this level of crunch, we won't be able to put the game out for you gamers, you know, by this date. We won't mm. be able to have this next patch ready for you when we promised it would be ready for you. And so there's that, you know, weird and and that's reflective of broader, you know, culture over the past four decades. You know, we've accepted less at work in exchange for cheaper goods. Yes. And we've also and we've also accepted that we are directly opposed to the person making something that for for us to have something that is cheaper uh if it's the same quality or what have you we accept that that means a certain amount of abuse uh to someone else it's just that with video games the product is so constantly available and requires so many moving parts Mm -hmm. that if even one thing fails if if you're the kind of consumer that these companies are relying on, then you immediately fly off the handle. They they talk in this about um, Fortnite went, or Epic Games rather, mm-hmm. went from having 20 to 40 tickets a day on their Fortnite QA mm-hmm. to, over three, right, yeah. to over mm-hmm. 3,000. So that's like 75 to 150 times as many. And sure, a lot of that is just because more people are playing the game. But I also guarantee you that a lot of it is because once you make a game that's that wildly popular, a large amount of your base is just going to be people who cannot handle it when one thing doesn't work. Oh, yeah, definitely. And they're very they're very religious about it. Um, I want to say that we've... At, We've made, you know, being a, a gamer, being a nerd, being a fan, we've we've elevated it to sort of almost religious, uh, you know, uh, fervor. And a lot of these people are perfectly comfortable acting like absolute children when something doesn't go right. Or, oh, my character would never say that. Or that's not canon. And, and they lose their minds. But guess what? We keep reinforcing that. In defense, that. some of them are <laughs> actual children. Well, exactly. Well, okay, all right. Uh, but this this is not a dig at children. Children are allowed to be like that. Um, but we, I mean, I've been to cons. I've seen people lose their minds about this and that. And the truth is, is that they've been 
turned into crops that are to be plucked by capitalists. I mean, they've brought them up on Star Wars, fed them Star Wars, uh, you know, and now when they're nice and fat and juicy, they can plop out anything with Star Wars on it, toilet paper, candy, gum, and these people will buy it up like, mmm. It's so easy. You heard it here first, folks. Star Wars is a capitalist program to I'm control sorry. your mind. No, 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 you're right. That's well, the, the problem. Well, the way it's being used, I mean, the art itself has been, I mean, I'm not saying that Star Wars is bad. I, I like it. It's great. That's okay. I am. Um, uh, what happens is, is no matter what your identity is hooked to, they've got their claws in you and they can say, oh, I know how to make a quick buck. I'll just throw out anything and these people will totally buy it. I think you're getting at something that's actually really important here because I can already anticipate that I'm going to spend a good portion of the next 40 minutes dunking on gamers as a thing. Mm -hmm. So let me say one thing that's pretty mm. fair, I, I think. I do think that part of it, uh, Anita, you pretty much got at this, is that ultimately even they have so little control. You know, if yeah. if you're if you buy a pair of shoes and it falls apart before it's supposed to, you can still try to take it to a cobbler or somebody right. like that to try and fix it. If it's a car, like there are people that you, if, if most products that you have in your life, you have some way of fixing or replacing yeah. or controlling their decay. But with a game, you literally have no role other than to interact with it. You are not part of the coding team. You're right. not a programmer. There's somebody else in Cary, North Carolina or whatever dealing with that, and you're not where they are. And I think a lot of this mindset that just causes that kind of explosive rage and, and right. childish reactions, which you're absolutely right, it's, mm -hmm. it's infantilizing, I think comes from the lack of control over the product. That's true. And it, it, it creates this, this thing of like, this is the one thing that, you know, everything else in my life kind of sucks because of capitalism. Mm -hmm. This is the one thing. This made me happy. This is my one yeah. little boost. Refuge. Right. And now this doesn't work. I'm going to get mad at the person who made it because that makes sense. I, I'm not going to pretend that I didn't, when I saw that Sonic the Hedgehog come <clears throat> out, that I didn't lose my mind. It was so easy. Just make him like the cartoon. You know, I, I showed it to my but, sister. But now they're going to repair it. That's yes, because it was how so. How many people are going to work, you know, extra hours to do Exactly. That. How many no, people got fired bad. because of that? I don't know. They're probably overworked and underpaid just like everyone else in the industry and regardless mm -hmm. of what, you know, my canon is. You know, that's what they that's what they were able to make with that time. I'll, I'll go even further. I'll say probably the person who okayed the design had nothing to do with actually, you know, putting it into practice. Probably not. And chances are good that person's still working wherever everyone else got wiped out at. Yeah, those designers are probably gone. The developers are probably gone. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to get into more issues with uh, labor in the gaming industry after this break. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Anita. Hi. We talked on the last segment about Fortnite, which is this all-consuming uh, 
cultural phenomenon among teens and gamers more broadly. And the amount of labor that goes into keeping Fortnite updated and the poor conditions for workers who have to perform that labor. Now, I mentioned that Epic Games, which makes Fortnite, is owned in part by Tencent, this Chinese conglomerate that also owns a company named Riot Games. And last week, a walkout took place at Riot Games. Uh, About 150 employees there walked off the job in protest of not just the company's uh, culture of sexism, but the way the company has responded to, you know, the news that their culture sucks. (laughs) And it's the first time a major video game studio in the U.S. has seen a walkout like that happen. So that's, you know, an encouraging sign in some ways. But, you know, the underlying problems that led to it are still reflective that there are deep problems within the video game industry as it pertains to labor. Now, the... uh, big report that exposed a lot of this, a lot of the issues within Riot Games was uh, done by Kotaku, a writer named Celicia Dianastasio. Um, and to quote from her original report here, just to give a few examples of the sort of culture we're talking about, quote, a former female employee told Kotaku that she was asked, how big is your e by an interviewer who was questioning her over her gaming habits. Great. Another former Riot employee who was passionate about tabletop games said she was told by an interviewer that her gaming preferences meant she wouldn't be considered a gamer at Riot. There's a Go lot. On. <laughs> yeah. Take the compliment. Mm. There's a lot in this article about these weird focus that Riot expects of its employees to be what they call core gamers, this... Uh, which means that you play a lot mainly of Riot's own games, but also shooters and, you know, the sorts of games that are uh, popular among teenage boys, in, in, mm. in essence. Riot is the company by, behind a game called League of Legends, which is um, another game that is Big. free to play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a multiplayer game. It has its own esports scene, which we're not going to get into here because I don't want to wrap my head around that. You know, it's another big, successful company, you know, on the even by the standards of the video game industry, which is, you know, $100 billion industry. You know, it makes a lot of money these days. To continue from this report, quote, a 2015 email about the hiring disparity written by a female employee and sent to Kotaku reads, quote, I've heard women described as aggressive and too ambitious during hiring panels rather than focus on their career skills or aptitude. I recall a lot of phrases that have given me pause, and I've never seen these sorts of phrases applied to male hires. She's interrupted me a lot during the phone interview. She's annoying. Or, we don't want people in this row who are ambitious because they'll want to move out of it quickly. Now, I can't speak to this, but Anita, perhaps you can. This is reflective of broader issues within just every workplace, the double standards held between men and women. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go into the veracity of that. It's obvious. It happens everywhere. I mean, um, I think it stems from, and this is just me putting them on the couch right now, the fact that they they see the fact that they have to share their space with women as just solely the the main problem. If you take that as being um, 100% correct, women are equal, you know, more problems, 
then if you work backwards from that, you can always find a reason to not hire them. You know, oh, her voice is annoying. She's too shrill. Oh, she's ambitious. Oh, she'll just get pregnant and leave anyway in the middle of a project. These are real thoughts that go through people's heads, and especially with employers. So they are looking at, oh, okay, you know, you're 20-something. Yeah, you're really into this company right now, but any moment you're a baby time bomb. And you'll just drop in the middle of a project because of pregnant stuff, <laughs> because of lady issues. And then, then that's actually the end of your career probably because you're going to have a big hole in your resume. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. There, there's a huge treehouse problem. You know, yeah. the get out of uh, my boys club, yeah. no girls allowed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What is it? 80% of Riot's employees appear to be men. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about, they have about 2,000 employees. So 1,600. 1,600, okay. So that's, what is it? Um, oh, the number I have is 2,500 in front of me. Whatever. Mm. 2,000, that point is. Fair enough. <clears throat> that's 1,600 men to 400 women, mm-hmm. if we assume that that ratio holds yeah. pretty much across the board. And what you've got is the things that, unfortunately, because of the way that we structure the workplace and the way that we have power relations in the workplace – happen every time you have a workplace like this. So you've got women being uh, discussed on work servers, work emails, work threads, work mm-hmm. Slack in explicitly sexual terms by people who should, frankly, be grown enough to know that, A, don't do that, but B, if you're going to do it, don't do it under work email. Yeah, You know, crazy. like there's two levels of bad to that. Which shows uh, how accepted it is. Exactly. It's It's very much... It's exactly what you said. The fact is their real problem, whether they acknowledge it or not, is that there is a woman in the space and everything works backwards from that. All of the other stuff is just motivated Mm -hmm. reasoning. And a lot of this Mm -hmm. is stuff we see in other industries, but I think you have a point when it comes to there's this perceived uh, invasion of the gaming clubhouse by women Mm -hmm. and by, you know, other marginalized groups that exacerbates the problem in this industry and in tech as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of male-dominated culture in these fields that feels threatened by the presence of non-male people. Yeah, and I don't, I don't mean to get all historical here, but uh, hello, we've always been in this space. Mm-hmm. We've just been um, small and um, in a lot of ways ostracized. I used to hear girl gamer and gamer girl pretty much used interchangeably. And one of them, I guess, is a pejorative, but I can't figure out which one that is. But, you know, I've, I've played video games all my life. Maybe not to this hardcore extent that these individuals are, but I was never, in, I was never given the amount of time necessary to really get completely, you know, just involved in these games the way that some people can because maybe they have a little extra money lying around and they don't need to have two jobs you know what i mean like and there's this undercurrent throughout the article of girl uh, women i should say being made to prove that they are real gamers and being treated with skepticism when they do prove that uh it's very much the you like this band name three of their albums yeah that's so petty it's it's this need so Unfortunately, mm-hmm. sometimes some of my best friends are gamers, and <laughs> as a result, I you know I've I've had to have these discussions with people before because I'm not white, 
and uh, I can be called by racial slurs online. And that's one big reason that I didn't feel like doing multiplayer games because guys I knew, and they were all guys, were perfectly proud of the fact that, you know, they had the mental wherewithal to resist it if somebody insulted them online. I'm like, and that's cool and all, but they're going to insult you based on your skill level or whatever. For me, they're just going to reach for a word that I don't really like to hear used Mm -hmm. to describe myself. So maybe can we just drop, can we just table this discussion? And they said, well, that's the thing. Like, that's what the internet's all about. It's like you get to learn uh, how to just be resilient. And it was even worse with women. It would be like, it, it's their problem for being, and we've heard this phrase millions of times, but too emotional or not willing to accept that that's the rules of the game. And it's like, those aren't the rules of the game. You don't no. sign up to play Fortnite no. and immediately get a display that says, you must shout, you know, certain hate speech at yeah. people. And here's the table of what you're allowed to shout at each. That's not a thing. It's a, it's a custom that gamers are proud of, but they know that society at large doesn't like it. So they have to play this weird two-step where on the one hand, guys like, uh, what is it? There's a Riot executive in the mm-hmm. article who talks mm-hmm. about letting his World of Warcraft raid team down because he's, his power went out or his internet mm-hmm. went out or something mm-hmm. and how devastated he was by this. They're proud of that kind of thing. But then on the other hand, they understand that the rest of us look at that and go, what? Yeah. Well, isn't that the, I mean, going back to what you were saying about feeling like you're pushed out of this space because of, you know, your ethnicity or whatever, um, it, that's, that's not a bug. That's a feature to them because then that treehouse gets smaller. It really is just sort of just like a mini like fascist hierarchy if you think about it. If everybody was a core gamer, then there'd be yeah. nothing special about being a core gamer. Uh. Gosh. Um, to quote again just from the article because there are so many examples of the way Riot went wrong here. Quote, Two former employees said they felt pressure to leave after making their concerns about gender discrimination known. One former male employee said that Riot's, quote, bro culture is more pronounced behind closed doors and hurts men, too. One of Riot's male senior leaders regularly grabbed his genitals, the source said, adding, quote, if you walked into a meeting with no women, he'd just fart on someone's face. Oh, my God. Which is a thing my students accuse each other of. Like, that's what I'm trying to get across is that these these are overgrown teenagers. I mean, even as a teenager, you shouldn't be doing that. It's in, in the article there compared to a, a frat house, but, you know, teenagers. Yeah, it's it's exactly what you're saying, Anita. It's yeah. it's this feeling that unless we have to deal with a woman directly in the room, that's the only time that we're even going to remotely act like civilized a civilized people. human being. It's, I mean, like, look, women aren't always excited about being the adults in the room we we kick back we're fun it's just it's work time so let's just forget about what kind of wedding tackle we got and get this game out the door i don't know i think it's gross to touch other people in the workplace anyway like who thinks this is cool um i'm baffled by that i am i really yeah. am no makes um, two of us shocking <laughs> And what has come from this story, it's been about five months later. I'm going to quote from a Polygon article about the walkout. I, I think it was written a bit before the walkout occurred, but after it had 
become public. Uh, quote, one of the major points of discontent, a source pointed out, was the continued employment of Riot COO Scott Gelb, who Kotaku reported as having ball-tapped, farted on, or humped employees who, and remains in his position after a two-month unpaid suspension and training. And this is one of the reasons why 150 Riot employees walked off the job. How much training does it take to get a grown man to understand yeah. not that maybe, I, uh, I mean, honestly, if either of you can answer that question, that's probably not a good thing for your mental health. <laughs> I know that thinking about it is making my brain fold in on itself. Yeah. What, what if this is just about degradation? What yeah. if this is a, just a power move and he's in his element and he's like, these are my people and I can literally treat them as poorly as I want. I don't know. That's what I think. And so it's it's like bosses that we've talked about in other yeah. industries where, and you two would be the perfect people to talk to. You did the bad bosses episode, oh, but yeah. um, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. It's this feeling of I can get away with this because, mm-hmm. you know, the, these people are underlings. They're not worth my time except mm-hmm. as playthings. And yeah. I, I guess the positive news here is that the workers are pushing back now and, and they've forced a bit of change almost. Uh, to quote from a Kotaku article about the walkout, uh, five current or former employees have sued the company in part for violating California's Equal Pay Act, you know, not hiring women for jobs they are qualified for. You know. Last week, Riot filed a motion to force two of those current employees into arbitration, an extra legal forum where a suit does not go in front of a jury. Neil Gorsuch's favorite method. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noah, do you want to explain forced arbitration? Forced arbitration is that you sit in a room and the company's lawyers sit in a room, and maybe you're lucky enough to have a lawyer of your own, but your company will discourage you from having one present. And you get to sit there while probably a third lawyer, I don't know what profession they usually have, sits in between you and is paid by the company to resolve these disputes, but is somehow supposed to be a fair and impartial observer who will arbitrate, hence the name, the case between you and the company, in some way that's just and is supposed to be a win-win for all parties. And this is supposed to be better for everyone than you perhaps going public with horrible things that happen at your company, despite the fact that the company that is sitting across the table from you has their hands in the arbitrator's pocket the entire time. And the forced part of this is that there are often clauses in workers' contracts requiring them to go through this channel rather than, say, filing a class action lawsuit, mm-hmm. you know, forcing them to do it individually, one by one, because the company realizes that most of them won't, you know, right. and when they are a smaller number, when they are individual, they have less power. Quoting again from Kotaku, recently 20,000 Google employees walked out to end forced arbitration. Months later, Google announced it would comply, but only for harassment cases. Last week, Riot announced it would now allow incoming employees to opt out of forced arbitration for harassment suits and would consider extending that to current employees as soon as current litigation is resolved. So this is a small victory for the workers at Riot, but it is by no means you know, everything they have pushed for. And, and are still pushing. And Riot doesn't have to give them anything because Riot already won this one thanks to the Supreme Court. Yes. Thanks to one of our nine most esteemed judicial minds putting their thumb on the scale here. It should be a testament to the work and the 
reach of mm. these designers that they were able to get even this much because, quite frankly, under the new rules that Neil Gorsuch, because he wrote the opinion, has decided for the nation, they shouldn't even have had that recourse. Yeah, the, we're talking about the guy who believes that uh, if you are being paid to stay in your truck in a fr- freezing cold situation with no heat, that um, it's okay if you lose your job if you leave the truck. I I can't explain all the nuances of that case, but that's basically he's saying you should be paid to die or essentially lose your job. Oh, yeah, no worries. We, we, okay. We've gone in on Neil Gorsuch in the past. Yeah, this guy's nuts. He's a piece of work. I wanted to bring up uh, the, uh, there's a sister article to this written by the same writer and it's also for Kotaku and the name of the article is inside the culture of sexism at riot games. And it's important that she tells a quick story here that there was a woman named Lacey who wanted other women to be hired at this company. Mm -hmm. And what she ended up doing was, I mean, she kept getting no's and all the same things that you had said. And then what happened was she actually set up a experiment in which she proposed an idea that she felt strongly about and was groundbreaking and was sort of poo-pooed. And then the next week she had one of her male colleagues who she trusted um, go and advocate for that idea in a meeting, the same people, and they loved it. And he came out of the meeting saying, oh my God, they just hate women. And... It it can be it can be shallower than that. It can be just I trust this man more. But now that they have the forced arbitration, when you bring up cases like this, scenarios like this, you, it, you're never going to get the same amount. I mean, you need eyeballs on this. We need people to see these things happening and pull the veneer back. And without a without a trial with a jury. You don't have those, you know, 12 angry men or whatever. You don't have a, a, a jury of your peers to say, I think this company's wrong and they should do X, Y, Z. Just as an aside, can we talk about the fact that the company refers to their employees as rioters? Yeah, yeah. that's cute. I thought that was dumb. <laughs> I, I, kind of, I kind of hope that is what they do eventually. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah, if you're accelerationist, actually, <laughs> and, this is pretty and nice And all their for press you. statements, you know, have been... Included sentences like "rioters have made their voice heard over this past week." Mm. And if if you think about it, that's a really nice attempt to kind of weaken that language a little bit. You know, ruin it for future generations of activists, or make them seem worse um, than they are. Maybe. Yeah. Mm. Just a statistic I came across. It's uh, from the ACLU. Uh, companies are increasingly requiring employees to agree to forced arbitration as mm. a condition of employment. Mm-hmm. A recent study by uh, Cynthia Estlin at the Economic Policy Institute showed that 56% of non-unionized private sector employees, that's 60 million American workers, are currently subject to forced arbitration. Yeah, that's terrible. That really should be illegal. That That's just bad. Why should a company be able to have you sign away your rights? It, Neil. It, and it goes yeah. back to yeah, sort Neil. of the, you know, the libertarian idea that in the workplace, everything is voluntary because you wouldn't sign up for something that you didn't read all the terms of, and no one would ever do that. But, and, of course... And if you did, you can just vote with your feet because that's how at-will employment mm-hmm. works. Because because you don't have to you don't have to eat you don't uh-huh. have to worry about housing and you don't ever have to worry about the housing and 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 healthcare of your children. That's yeah, exactly right. You're not under the gun. 
The only thing you have to do, you don't have to eat, you don't have to sleep, you don't have to feed your children, you don't have to take care of anybody. All you have to do is negotiate contracts. That is it. That is the one need, according to a libertarian. Yeah, just to say that you are not, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, you are being coerced no matter what. I mean, that's that's why the capitalist economy works the way it does. Because you can't just go to the next Wendy's next door when you don't like flipping burgers at McDonald's because you'll get the same treatment. They keep it at the same bad level. I, I think it's also important to note that even if you decide, if you are a rioter and you decide <laughs> that you're going to leave the company, that you can't mm-hmm. stomach it anymore, I, I can't remember which article notes this, but it mentions that employees are required to sign, mm-hmm. cursed phrase number three in this episode, non-disparagement agreements. Mm-hmm. Not non-disclosure, non-disparagement agreements. Mm-hmm. And that apparently a few employees only got their severance checks once they agreed to talk to the talent team, which is human resources, about their experience at the company. So in other words, it's not enough that they force you into this massively unequal process that disfavors you at every turn. But then you also have to basically promise that you won't talk trash about a company that is, not to put too fine a point on it, trash. And that you won't even get the severance that is due you until you agree to sit with somebody and face-to-face tell them that their company is trash. Mm-hmm. We've spent a lot of time already talking about s- sort of the uh, negative aspects of the video game industry. And after this break, we're going to come back and hopefully try to t- view a positive way out of this issue. You know, How can we make things better? Hey, hey guys, you know that feeling you have at work? That dead inside feeling? Bad news, we can't really help with that. Good news, we can help you waste some time at work. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO LPFM Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, still joined by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Anita. Hi. We've been talking about the video game industry and the stresses it places on the workers who make the games played by, you know, every student in Noah's classroom. (sighs) We we talked in the first segment about Fortnite, which has a very highly popular battle royale mode. And a recent competitor to Fortnite has arisen named Apex Legends. It's a, a battle royale game that is published by EA, Electronic Arts. And they have... In the wake of the story about the crunch at Epic Games that is required to keep Fortnite pushing out new content, they actually uh, released their own uh, roadmap for future content. And in doing so, they, there is this paragraph, which is, takes a shot, really, at Epic Games. Quote, we know that in addition to addressing issues with the game, everyone is hungry for us to add new content. The studio culture that we've worked hard to cultivate and the health of our team are very important. We take those things into account when we discuss our content roadmap, the production schedule, and the frequency in which we can update the game. Our long-term goal is to ensure Apex Legends always feels alive and thriving with a focus on quality of content over novelty or speed of release. At the same time, we want to maintain our culture as a development team and avoid crunch that can quickly lead to burnout or worse. Damn. Now... This just lies. <laughs> this can be seen as, you know, a cynical PR move to say, yeah. hey, we're the good company here, which... You, you, know. you also said it was EA? 
Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, so really okay. it's just an excuse for all the bugs yeah. that they are not going to fix. Oh, they're not going to fix a thing. They yeah. haven't had a good game in years. I'm sorry. This is yeah. the attitude mm. that makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we're being problematic But now. we are not mad at the workers about yeah. that. <laughs> no, it's it's absolutely the case. It. So, for example, an issue near and dear to my wife's heart is uh, palm oil, right? Okay. Uh, whether it's oh. harvested sustainably or mm-hmm. not. And... What we found is that when you look at companies that are able to do sustainable palm oil harvesting, Mm -hmm. they tend to actually be bigger companies that you would think wouldn't make the commitment just out of pure bottom line fever. Mm -hmm. But they do because they also have the resources to actually theoretically ensure that it's Mm -hmm. done. And I worry that not to step on a positive point, I think it's a good thing that EA is uh, composing a diss track. Well. I, I think it's positive yeah. that yeah. the cynical PR move here is to tout your working conditions as, you know, not including crunch. You know, it's a positive that, you know, this issue has, you know, become such a you know, prominent discussion in the industry that, you know, companies are now saying, hey, you know, we're not crunching. You know, that's good, even if it is for cynical PR purposes. Yeah, But who point. is this message, whose ears is this message falling into? Because guess what? People who play the game fervently aren't, they don't care. They want crunch. I, They're just going to say, hey, hire more people or whatever. And so what is the actual I, I, objective I here? made to care in, in some ways. Just oh, as, yeah. you know, your wife was made to care about the sustainability of palm oil or, you know, the... Uh, or how there are a lot of people willing to pay extra for, you know, cage-free eggs or yep. free trade coffee, fair trade coffee. You know, mm-hmm. there there will be a subset of consumers who do care about labor issues. And to the extent that, you know, they, you know, have some power in the industry, that's good. I'll be happy when I hear the workers saying it. And, 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 and you know, um, right. and for now, what I, what I see that is is a promise for the future. If they actually want to fulfill it, I'm 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 there for that. But what I'm not for is uh, a naked PR move, just in case that's exactly what it is. That's exactly right. the The role of management, I think, ultimately, is to stem the avalanche of BS that otherwise just all of it will hit workers. Shout out to Sauce, who told me that just two days mm. ago about schools. But the thing about it is this. Ryan, you've been using my students as a microcosm for gamers as a whole, and you should be. That is a fairly accurate one. They all mentioned Apex Legends on the day it came out, Mm -hmm. and since then I don't think a single one of them has Mm -hmm. played it for more than maybe an hour. So I think, unfortunately, that's part of the problem. I do think you're right that consumers can be made to care, and I think more consumers care than used to, certainly. Mm -hmm. I just worry that, again, the unique features of video games as a product Mm -hmm. make that battle so much more uphill than it needs to be. But that's not a reason to give up on it at all. I I, I think we can say of gamers as a consumer group is that they tend to be younger and maybe less socially conscientious than people who buy coffee, say. Uh, There are differences just in who consumes games, and that attitude will trickle up in a way towards the people who make them you know whether it's in terms of you know the culture at riot games or the way they treat their workers well um i know for a fact that the game industry has a target audience just like every other industry and it is males 26 and younger everyone else who plays games is an outlier and 
who is buying those games are those people who are old enough to have some money. So you got the parents are not the targets. They don't need to be the targets. They need the kids to want those games or they need 25-year-old males to want those games. And that's why that's why there's sex and violence and things that, you know, usually kind of just go along with that. Anything else is just gravy, but that's the meat and potatoes. Uh, one thing we should also get to, this is punching out. It really wouldn't be a punching out episode if we mentioned a union of some sort. American game companies are not unionized. It's a distinct from our other entertainment industries. You know, film mm-hmm. and TV have strict unionization. And to the extent that those industries overlap with gaming, there's also unionization there. Uh, video game voice actors are unionized under the Screen Actors Guild. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they went on strike a couple years ago asking for uh, more residual payments when a game succeeds and more info about uh, the sorts of work they'll be doing and the stress they'll be putting on their voice. So there's maybe a model for how video game workers can put pressure on their bosses instead of the other way around. Uh, There's an effort called Game Workers Unite, which is actively seeking now to unionize the industry. And its presence, though it hasn't yet succeeded, is a positive sign. That is true, because I think Riot Games aside and Mm -hmm. culture fits and core gamers and all of those horrible phrases... Just like, as Anita, as you were saying, just like there's a highly specific target audience for games, there also used to be a pretty limited population of who was making them, and then everybody else was an outlier. And a lot of them, unfortunately, again, from personal experience, tended to have the kind of beliefs that made it pretty easy to take advantage of them as workers. And the fact that Game Workers Unite even exists is a net positive in that regard. It means that there are certainly people who have some conception of their power as the people who make these companies run. Mm-hmm. And, and there are unionized game companies in Europe because mm-hmm. labor laws are different there. Uh, France, for example, requires workers to have some sort of voice within their company. Uh, and one of the largest gaming companies, Ubisoft, is based mm-hmm. in France. So they are unionized. But American companies are not. So, th- again, there's... Signs for a better future, you know, one that has fewer 100-hour weeks in it, one that has fewer references to core gamers. Um, I wanted to say this should really light a fire under most people. If you're interested in unionization, this should be a bellwether for what's coming in the future because, as I was saying earlier, like if you're an accelerationist in any capacity when it comes to economic issues, you should be seeing this as total... total, uh, um, you're it, vindicated completely by the no. microcosm of end-stage capitalism happening right here in the gaming mm-hmm. industry, right before your eyes. Our, our senses have sort of been dulled to you know sweatshop labor that mm. makes our shoes and clothing, but it does feel different, though it probably shouldn't when it's happening to you know people with degrees, you know, white mm-hmm. collar workers who you know have skills that you know are rare, as you mentioned, and perhaps because their skills are rare, they might you know, have some power over our situation if they can wield that power and organize it. I mean, here's hoping. The alternative is that the future is just Ready Player One, and uh, who wants that? Nobody wanted that. <laughs> um, I do want to say I like that they said they have a, a riot, a couple more tricks up their sleeve. And what I'm really sort of crossing my fingers for is that next time they pull this crap or they say, hey, guys, uh, we got this deadline, this incredible deadline, that they work for a little while and then all of a sudden just sick out. Ooh. 
that would destroy Warp them. to rule the yeah. best strike zone. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about a massive problem for that company. And it doesn't matter if you're a contract or if you're one of the hired on employees, if everybody walks off during crunch week, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's going to be really bad for them. And just know that if you work at Riot Games, if you work at Epic or NetherRealm or company. any other company of these, and somehow you've ended up listening to us during mm-hmm. your interminable crunch hours, know that we're pulling for you. Yeah. And Solidarity. That w- Solidarity. Solidarity. On that note, I'm Ryan. I'm Noah. And I'm Anita. This was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.